It's the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. Todd Mitchell over here, John Scheiber up there looking majestic as usual. How you doing, got my sir? Mason jar. He's got his mason jar. I've had a mason jar sitting across the room for, like, we're coming up on six months that I've been, it, it's the longest running joke I've never made. It's just been sitting there waiting for some drink. Okay, you know what? We're having technical difficulties now twice in a row with Skype. And I just wanted to say this real quick. Now where my picture and picture of myself normally is, Mr. Todd, it is two of you. (laughs) So I've definitely got an application error going on here. I see a bunch of you. (laughs) That's certainly not helpful, at least. I, I can say that. Nice hoodie, by the way. Yeah, I hate to hate to name drop, but uh, my buddies at Obsidian gave me this on my way out of the tour. So. Maybe they should have developed Fallout seventy six. Oh, they absolutely should have. They <laughs> and and I can tell you, inside the studio, that's what everyone wants to do. Everyone wants to work on more Fallout. When they announced uh, the last couple of Fallout projects, they they kind of you know, hey, congratulations to the people working on this stuff. It's it's not us. <laughs> So, very sad. Everyone loves New Vegas. I think if you put it up to a vote, everybody would say Obsidian should be taking the lead at this point. No, no, we didn't intend to talk about this, but I don't care right now. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, so where do you stand? Are you that person that really likes New Vegas over Fallout 3? Or I'm just going to pretend Fallout 4 doesn't exist, by the way. Uh, right. But anyways. <laughs> we did talk about uh, this today. Um, and again... I have to apologize to people for my voice again because I've been sick all week. Oh, man, I'm working on getting over it. I have n- I've really never thought about my personal feelings about 3 versus New Vegas. I really like both games. I think both games are very good. I wholeheartedly agree. I think they both have a place. I never did finish New Vegas, but that's not for lack of interest. I just uh it was a, a matter of what was on my plate at the time. Yeah, I think I think I might have finished that one. I know I finished three twice. I can't remember wow. if I finished Vegas, but I can tell you the expansions for that. There was one that really stuck out to me. I got to look it up right now because the, the name is is escaping me. But uh, the the expansions for that, uh, I'm gonna tell you, buddy. If you if you if you get a Fallout itch, go see if you don't have the expansions. Go see if you can grab the expansions for pennies on the dollar and yeah. play through them because the one that I really liked was um i didn't play all of them but i played i think it's this one called honest hearts let me look at it honest hearts yeah that was the one that was a pretty cool expansion man i really i really got to give it to him on that one i'd like to play um the lonesome road one but anyways not, not to go too far down that one if you personally get an itch to play fallout and you want a good experience See if you have those expansions. If not, grab them. I think you'd like that. Man, I don't know. I love New Vegas. I liked how small it was. I felt like there was parts in Fallout 3 that it just was too... Uh, what other game did I play that was just too big for the sake of being big? And it felt terrible to me. <laughs> uh, kind of what Fallout 3 did in moments, I thought. It was just too big for the sake of being big. Yeah. Not that it's big. You know, There's giant open world games nowadays, but... Um, I don't like it when the world feels empty and new Vegas is a little tighter. Is it now I'm I'm saying all of this and it's, and it's probably a bigger map even, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But but it just seemed, it was designed so well, but man, some of the most memorable quests in, in things happened to me in three actually. And then we both discussed our disappointment in four just because it was too handholdy and, uh, weird. It just was weird. 
And and we had different uh, issues with. It's funny. Almost everyone loved Fallout Four, but we both sort of disliked it for different reasons. You didn't like the hand holdiness, and you felt like you were OP super fast out of the gate. I, on the other hand, slowly played through the beginning, and then like it felt like minutes into the actual game, I had the power armor. I was working on upgrades, and it's like, okay, you need this special upgrade. Go dig through garbage. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm done. And we're talking two or three play sessions tops on this game, and I was I was done. It might be, I hate to admit this, because I've been playing these multiplayer games mostly lately, which is uncharacteristic of myself. I'm usually a single-player guy. Yeah. It might be the last game I've finished all the way through. Hmm. Was Fallout Four? It, I'm gonna have to think about that really hard. It might be the, it might be the game I actually played all the way through to the end. The, the plot was extremely predictable. You were OP within the first handful of quests, like you, like you said. I don't know, man. It was just weird to me. Like you know, in Fallout Three, it, it was cool. You're like, you see somebody in power armor, and you're like, ooh, I gotta get it. I, I've gotta find it one day. And and then it's in the late game, and you're like, oh, power yeah. armor, and it made it so special. In this game, it was like seriously, the first two or three quests. By the way, here's some functioning power armor. Get in this thing and fight this death claw. I don't know. It was just like, well, what else is there for me to do? Because now I'm walking around in power armor, and it was supposed to be. I think what was supposed to happen. And I have the tendency to do this, so I might be partially to blame for the way I play. But I, I do that thing with what, what what do they call it? Min max? Is that is that what the term? Min maxing? Yeah, I, I only recently learned about that. Me too. I I didn't know I've been doing it since day one. <laughs> yeah, it seemed natural. Yeah, it was kind of a no shit to me. Right. It's just the most efficient. And so I I had power cells hanging out my yang yang for that thing. And I think the thing was supposed to be that those were maybe rare or hard to come by i don't know i had no problem and i had stacks of them and i was just constantly walking around in the power armor yeah. and it was like okay game over <laughs> well you, you know what it was uh, i first learned about min maxing before they as far as i know before they really had a term for it i was in college and i was playing some of the old uh neverwinter nights games and I was creating a character, and I was trying to make like a good soloist character who just good all rounder. And they're like, "Yeah, this is really based on the D and D stuff, and that's not really what you're going for. You want to sort of have specialty areas, and then uh, whatever." But you play the game alone, so I kind of agree with myself more than I agree with them. But I, I don't know what you would call mine, Ma- maxi padding, perhaps. Maxi padding. I hope that's not what we call. It. That's what I'm going to call it. I'm a maxi patter. Have you deep dived into Forza 4 yet? I have it on the Game Pass, and honestly, I have cracked it in, well, I might have only played the beta. I, I guess, really, that was the last game I finished. Uh, I've been all the way through the main story for uh, Horizon 4. What's cool about that, for one thing, you don't ever... It's it's hard to really know when you've like finished, finished, but it, it does new seasons all the time where they... Every, I don't know, week or so, they will change from like one season to the next. And they, ha- they have all these new curated contests and tournaments and races and stuff. New cars you can get. They're keeping that game fresh big time. I got to get back into it. Especially playing the full game. I mean, I had a blast in that free week leading up to the launch. And like I told you, it was like car heaven. I'm a race racing game fan. So are you. Dirt Rally is still my all-time favorite game. Dirt Rally 2 um, is on the way. Oh, I'm so pumped. I think they said like February. Oh yeah, you're right. It's it soon. Um, and I never did play that game that was like Overwatch for cars by by that company, Codemasters. What was that? You sent me that, didn't you? Overwatch for cars? 
Yeah, but there's like there's like a car version of Overwatch that uh, from Codemasters. They do so. Oh, are you talking about um, Onrush? Yes, that's from them, isn't it? That's on Game Pass as well, uh, as Is well it? as Horizon Four. You can play both. It's pretty fun. I haven't played it yet. You played it? I have. I've I've sank some hours into it. Uh, it's the kind of thing that's like it's. You'll be glad you played it. You probably won't hit 16 hours and be like, I'm still, you know, this is still a fun experience. You, it's not a recipe that stays super fresh, but it is a cool thing. It's a cool idea. I haven't tried the online stuff, so there may be more to it, but it's it's neat. Okay. That's good to know, because I, I was hopefully wanting to check that out. Man, I need to check the Game Pass and see what's going on with that. I haven't looked at it in a little bit. I'm not easily impressed by stuff like that, but they really have made that count. If you're an all-around gamer, if you're just like a shooter fan or whatever, like you might like it if you like when things like Doom become available. They've got a few good things here and there. If you're just an all-around multi-category gamer, Game Pass is pretty awesome. Now, let me ask you this. Is Can you do the PC versions of these, or is it only on the console? That is a smart question and has a complicated answer. In certain cases, and I think you can pull this up on the website, you will find a couple of Play Anywhere games that you can also play online. You have to download them through the Microsoft Store site. And then, what was the one? Um, something about Core. ReCore. ReCore was the first one I did. I played it on the Xbox and noticed you could get it on PC. And I tried it and it worked pretty well. Horizon 4, also, you can do. On, you can? Uh, I'm downloading it right now. Yeah, that that's good. What I found was cool about that was if you get into, like, paints and... Uh, editing logos and you know paint jobs for cars and everything you can do that easier on the pc than you can on the xbox oh so, yeah i bet that's a god-given for sure it doesn't have like full full support but it has like real basic keyboard and mouse support which is nice i am pulling it up can i oh apparently i already have it installed well <laughs> well goodly good gosh <laughs> can I, I can't wait can i confess something to you yes i have started playing no man's sky um, I've started playing it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Since Thanksgiving, I've probably put, I gotta be coming up on 20 hours. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good run for you. Usually I'm the one sinking tons of time into one game. That's exactly right. Uh, I've been hanging out with my son, and he's a big independent play kind of kid. And I've got the Steam Link, and it works really well on the Steam Link. Ooh. So, he's in the toy room, I got it up on the TV, we're hanging out. I'll play for a little bit, pause, chill with him go back and forth and uh we've we've you know that's been good for a couple hours a day at least that's cool and i will say this that game is worth a buy now with the update and i and, and i was mean to sean murray and i was mean to uh what's the name of his hello games hello or games yeah. i was i was mean to them at the release because i was kind of miffed about, about the hype that i fell for myself i was a victim of that and i don't normally fall for the hype but it i, I fell for that they have redeemed that game. They have they have very much redeemed that game. It's it's kind of cool. The problem is is that I played m- most. I I almost beat it mm. and, when it was crappy and because yeah. uh, you can min max it real easy. I kind of wish I didn't do that because I, I might be more inclined to play it now. So when I get in there, it kind of gives me like uh, PTSD is the wrong thing to say because it, it, that's a very serious thing. And, and a video game isn't isn't that serious. You're jaded. But yeah, there you go. It kind of just, 
when I hear it and play it now, it kind of just makes reminds me of being really pissed. You get a bad taste in your mouth. I get that. Yeah, but I have to. I honestly have to say the base building and the and the different capital ships and stuff. It's it's. Well, you know, a buddy of mine went hard on it when it when they fixed it, and and Matt Matt showed me some cool things. I was like, man, this is this is legit. This is legit. It's a fun experience. What's uh, interesting about this is No Man's Sky has been around long enough that it was one of the last things I wrote about as a journalist, and I put it on my 2015 list of indie games to watch. And I fought with an editor about this game a lot. And it was the dumbest thing because I was excited about it when they first announced it. Oh, I was too. I'm a software guy. I understood the stuff they were saying about why this was compelling, why the development was interesting, and the features were cool. And so I put together... Um, and I mean, this was just one out of like five or six games that I wrote about, but I I put together not really hype copy, but it was, it was optimistic. And this editor is like, there's no reason to jump on the hype train about this. And you, you put in stuff like you'll be able to fly seamlessly from the planet into space. There's no reason to think that's going to be true. That fucking is true. That's exactly what that feature turned out to be. I have to say. I have to say, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, you're I, fine. I have to say that that first four hours of that game, when, when I first loaded it up, is going to be an experience with the game. I got to give it to him. It's going to be an experience with the game that will be unmatched for quite some time because the first few times you do exactly what you're talking about, you're just like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I, I really kind of wish now that I had played at the beginning a little bit. And then sort of put it on the shelf till they put out those updates. Because I, I wish I knew more about the comparison between now and back then. Uh, Huge. If you want to talk. Now it's pretty sharp. It's a pretty pretty cool experience. Huge, dude, huge difference. Like, to me, coming back as a player that put a decent amount. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly how long I played it. Because all the hours I got on it on Steam are basically only the launch hours i, I, I saw it. you on steam and i think you're at like 19 20 hours yeah i played it quite a bit and you had a super mean review <laughs> super mean i i in my, the short version of my steam review was go look at the e3 footage and yeah. and then play this game and then <laughs> that was exactly and, what it was yeah and i where is my game at this is not <laughs> This is not that game. It was like, go watch the reveal trailer and look at what was promised to us. I'm like, oh, god damn, he's mad. <laughs> I was so mad. It wasn't even close. Yeah. It wasn't even close. And I think everybody felt that way. And that that's an interesting thing about hype is like, it's bad for the players. It's real bad for the developer. Nobody should get caught up in the hype train. I'm going to try to be as realistic as possible. I would say they added like half of a game on the on that first mm. big update. They added like half of a game. You, you, that game was literally half that kind. Con- you would go to a planet, and, there, and I wouldn't see any living creatures. And then I would fly to a solar system, and the planet would look almost the same. Yeah. And I would see no living creatures. And I would fly to another solar system, and it would be the planet would be almost the same. And it was like the procedural generation wasn't even trying. And it was like, wow. They still update Left 4 Dead? Sorry. That's funny. Um, I remember what I wanted to tell you. Way off subject here. And this show is going to be have to – sorry, you're going to have to edit a lot out, I guess. <laughs> when you're talking about playing with your son. Have you yeah. checked out that two-point hospital game? No. I haven't played it in a couple months. I need to fire it back up. But me and Kara, that's a game that we, that we play. Nice. And, and you know what it is, right? 
I don't know much about it. Um, I think Sega had something to do with helping publish this, if I'm not mistaken. It was by. Is that the one that was by the old theme park developer? Mm-hmm. Well, they do good stuff. I feel like Sega was involved in this in some way or another. Anyways, I don't care about that part. Hey, Google, of it. who developed Two Point Hospital? Two Point Hospital was developed by Two Point Studios. Easy, oh, stupid answer. I wonder hey, who the pub- hey, Google who published Two Point Hospital. Two Point Hospital was published by Sega. Sega. There you go. Sega was the publisher. Sega. Say, and uh, it's a very, very well done management game if you like it. And Kara adores it. It's, nice. You, you got guys that have come in there. Have you looked at it at all? No. The graphics are super awesome. For Will's case, mommy works in a hospital. Just yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can design hospitals. The amount. What I like about the game is that it's very deep. Like you can take a doc. You can hire a doctor to your hospital, and they can have no experience. And then you can sit there and train them up to be the doctor you want, or you can hire a doctor that's already trained. So, like, how deep do you want to go? Yeah. Um, and everything is like that. And then you build this nice hospital and everything. And then the diseases are like, they'll come in and I won't give them all away because I want you to play it. I really do. I think you and Will would enjoy it because he can help you. You know, I'd be like, where should we put the bench? And she'll be like, oh, here, here. And where <laughs> should I go? They're cold. Oh, put a heater here. You know, and it's it's fun. Well, they'll come in and they'll like, there's one where there's a rock star disease. They think they're a rock star. And, and you'll just have a busload of Freddie Mercury's get dropped <laughs> off at your hospital. That's there's awesome. a bunch of little, yeah, there's a bunch of little Fre- and Freddie Mercury's walking around until you cure them. <laughs> Why would you cure that? I don't know. I wouldn't. <laughs> That's funny. Um, not only is my wife on a super uh, big queen kick right now because she just saw that movie about Freddie Mercury. Also, this is funny it comes up because there's a game that my wife loved on the PC based on the show ER. It turned out it was actually an extremely good game because it was made by a studio that was already working in like strategy games about this kind of stuff. So they made this super good hospital management game. The problem with that was it never really got well translated to like good old galaxy or good old games or steam or anything like that. Basically your only hope was to sort of bootleg this thing and try to make it run in modern windows. And it just, it just doesn't. And I've been working on it for years and I've, interesting. Yeah, I've, I've got it up to the point where I can boot the thing up, start a game, and it's buggy, and it will eventually crash. And this that's been a product of years of work. Wow. She, she likes, like, two video games, and I try to get one of them working, and I can't do it. I feel like a huge failure. Get, so, get, her, get her this. Maybe she would like this. I think it's, it's, I mean, I know she works in a hospital, but I think it would be a neat way, because it's very cartoony. and But at the same time, the humor is subtle, so yeah. it keeps you as a parent, like, giggling to yourself. And in the and Kara doesn't know what's going on. Um, it's not suggestive by any means, like sexually suggestive. But it's just it's those little things. It's like, and here's the same four songs you've already heard. <laughs> you know, like the radio station will say yeah. that. Um, nice. But it's fun, man. It's it's a fun little game. I, I highly recommend it. I keep telling my wife when we're both in the retirement home, we're going to work on some like hospital video games. It's going to be awesome. Because I mean, her knowledge and my know-how will be awesome. It, it would be perfect. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's get the normal show. Welcome to the Game Dev Breakdown. <laughs> Let's start the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the we'll, we'll get to the uh, the plan. Yeah, for real. I am excited about tonight because we're going to do something we've been saying we were going to do for over a year now, which is 
interview John about his vast musical expertise because music design and music creation is so big for game development, so big for indies, and to put it delicately, we don't know nearly enough about this. So I want to talk to you about how we can apply your knowledge to our nonsense. I'm 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 ready. I'm ready because it is it is very integral and if, if if you need any evidence for that just look at what doom did in 2016 with mm. um mick gordon you know i mean yeah, yeah. anyways <laughs> so, so let's start by sort of setting the table tell us what you do musically right now and um a little little background about how you got started Currently, I play for a band called A Dark Orbit. We are signed to an independent record label in the United Kingdom as the headquarters called Basic Records. International. Yes, international. In 2016, following the release of our first full-length album called Inverted, interesting inside tidbit is that that song, or that album title, came from basically me and the vocalist uh, chad he he writes we have a chad he writes and he's a gym bro uh, he writes, and he looks like jesus yes <laughs> chad christ uh, <laughs> he writes all the lyrics i've i've written some song titles and pieced together little like little parts mm-hmm. but um he's pri- the primary lyricist he's a amateur novelist too he has a novel he's he's been trying to piece together for a while anyways i did not know that yeah yeah it's pretty cool he's into sci-fi novels big time i like um, it yeah, he reads like crazy. But anyway, so he, he writes he writes a lot of the lyrics and everything like that. And uh, we just got to talking one day, and we said, uh, and this kind of comes up in our talks uh, privately. Uh, well, between me, you, and Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nothing is private. Uh, about how the world seems like things are inverted. So what is good is bad, and what is bad is good. And we were having a talk about that, and that's the the title of our first album in 2015 it was released late 2015 so it's kind of a 2016 release and it got some popularity when it came out overseas and we had the opportunity to play at uh, tech fest which is a big heavy metal music festival and a field in newark is how they say it over there uk and then the newark fairgrounds and then uh euroblast in cologne germany and both experiences were fantastic um, we stayed in Scotland when we went to Europe in July, or uh, UK in July, and um, that was awesome. Scotland is incredible. Put it on your bucket list. Edinburgh, fantastic place to visit. Yeah. And in the summer, it stays light until like 10 p.m. It was amazing fun. And then uh, Germany, I didn't care for so much for the people in the city. I don't know if it was just cultural differences or they just didn't like Americans. Uh, <laughs> they just and, didn't like you. <laughs> yeah. But the festival in Germany was very fun, very cool. It, it met a lot of people. It was interesting over there it, that I, I had gotten taken aside by uh, a Swedish heavy metal band that knew who we were. And I was surprised. Uh, it really was a humbling experience that, that these guys knew who I was. And they wanted me to talk to him. He, he goes, go over there say say something to my buddies. And I, and I did, and they were like, this guy's accent. And it was weird because <laughs> I was, I was, they liked my accent or my non-accent because – they were like, it sounds like you have no accent. And it was so weird. I'm like, well, you know, I'm from Southern Illinois. I don't know how many words you really want to hear me say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They wanted to hear me say all kinds of stuff. It was so weird. I'm sure it was, you know, a little bit of drugs and alcohol on their part. <laughs> wanting, you know, but influencing this. But they were genuinely like, 
wow, it was such a weird experience to hear somebody going crazy over your non-accent. But anyways, I digress from that. <laughs> with all with all of that being said, all of the years that I grinded and grinded and grinded in the local music scene and being in diff- several different heavy metal bands, and yes, it's the Cookie Monster kind. Esau <laughs> got Esau. <laughs> like... Uh, <laughs> I play everything, though. I mean, classical guitar. Like, I recently played classical guitar for a wedding. I've played classical guitar for two weddings. I, I, I wouldn't mind maybe putting out an ad for that at this point because it's so, it's so rewarding. It, it, that's really rewarding. Really, yeah. really rewarding. I taught guitar for a while when I was younger, made decent money, cash. Uncle Sam didn't know about that. And then, nice. um, <laughs> and, um, mainly self-taught. I had a guitar teacher at a pretty young age, and it didn't last too long. Because once I learned the basics of musical theory, I just took off from there. Like when I was 15, I learned the basics of musical theory, and then I, the internet, I knew how to use the internet, and it was like, <laughs> what do I need to pay for lessons for? And so once I knew what the Google basically, it's kind of like tech work. Once you know what the, once you know how to use Google, like you yeah. would, that's the inside joke with tech stuff. You go there to learn how to use Google. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, that's the same thing to me with musical theory, and so it took off from there. And Dude, been, I went to ITT Tech, man. I know about a school where you learn to use Google. That is so real. Oh, you know, I went to the Cisco program at SWIC, so I know the same. Nice. <laughs> Even more so. Uh, I've been playing guitar, let's see, I'm 32, and I have been playing guitar for 20 years. Uh, mm. 21, 20, 21 years, right around in that area. I played piano for three years before that because my mom forced me for homeschooling. Yeah. I wanted to play drums, and so until I got that when I was like 19 or 20, I've had that electronic kit for quite a while. Oh, wow. I didn't start playing the drums until I was that old. Um, I've had that forever. That that DW drum pedals I've had for, God, too long. I'm surprised they work. Honestly. Yeah, that's a good run for an electronic set. It gets st- dense so for a few the first few years i grinded on it and then a long time i put it in a closet for many a years then i pulled it out and grinded on it and then i spent a good three years in my mid-20s learning how to play the drums like decent mm-hmm. and then when you learn how to play the guitar and the piano like i learned uh, and you kind of could attest for this for having you know yourself being a drummer and plunk around on the guitar and your wife being a pianist herself she's much more accomplished at that than i than i ever will be um, you kind of, after you learn like one or two instruments, you kind of start to get them all, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I consider myself a multi-instrumentalist at this point and theory applies to all of it. Um, I probably have like, if you were to accumulate the hours of theory that I've studied, you could probably say I don't have a master's degree of self-taught, <laughs> but like, you know, a solid bachelor's degree of self-taught musical theory. Then on the side, when I was very, very new at it trying to think about what age well it wasn't too i got i got into recording music before that but not too soon before that because what had happened was i met some gentlemen that were older than me a guy named josh travis he plays for a band called emure if there's any metalheads listening they will immediately know who that is and some might even perk up and then uh, a guy named nate northway is partially responsible for making me a metalhead too um and he was in a band called nashville suicide mission that only had local success kevin boycourt played drums for him they were, oh. fan- they were fantastic. That's why I remember that name. Yeah, they were really good for what they did. Um, those guys recorded their own music. And Was that the I, one where uh, Ozzy Osbourne nominated Kevin for an award? Well, I don't know that. He he worked, I think, no, I think it was when he was working as a studio musician down there. Ozzy had to pick 
uh, out of like a certain set of albums to nominate someone for a uh, drums and percussion award, and he picked Kevin. Oh, that's cool. I didn't yeah. realize that. Our local music scene, not too bad. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah you got you got me played in a couple of festivals in Europe. Josh Travis is in a touring established touring band. Kevin, that's pretty cool, man. That's that's neat stuff. Um, and then Steve Street did okay. We, uh, I was talking to him recently. He didn't do too bad. Uh, I haven't talked on, to him in a while. On his on his music front, yeah, he's doing pretty well, man. I think he's fixing to get married. It's pretty cool. And then Adam Anderson works for Mine All Symbols. Did you know that? Yeah, Adam is a very close friend. I I had dinner with him. Uh, probably not the last time he was in town, but not too long ago. Like we we were in drumline together in high school. So my musical history is not as extensive as yours, but I've also been a musician since about age 10, so 20 plus years. And uh, Adam and I played drums in the drum line all through high school together. Yeah, he's, he's doing really well on the equipment and sales side, so that's pretty great. It's cool. I, I, I just looked him up randomly, and I was like, I want, I'm going to creep book him. I, I haven't seen him in a long time. And I was like, oh, he works for mine all. And uh, our drummer His Facebook is really funny. I, that's awesome. I like those symbols a lot. Here's a little bit of the recording side of me, and I'll that's get back to the, I'll get I'll get back to the history of my recording real quick, and then we'll continue the questions yeah. to keep the flow going. But I like those minol symbols because the decay on them is very fast because they're yeah. I don't know if it's how they're made or if they're thin, but that makes it so you can really get the overhead mics and the room mics when you record drums to sound damn good. Mm-hmm. And I'm big into that. I love those like. John Bonham drums, man. That just big ass, huge drum sound. So I got recording equipment, and I, boy, I sunk a lot of money into that stuff. And most of it's virtual now, which is crazy to think about. But I had been self-taught exclusively on that for many a year, and for a while, a long time. I probably should, if I wanted to do it seriously, I would have gone and got a formal education. But for many, 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 many years, I was fumbling in the dark until about the last five or six, I uh, I really started to pick up some good knowledge. I decided to go get talk to somebody at SIUE and say what's your curriculum for your I asked a student what books did they make you buy and he showed me and I went and bought the same ones and read through all of them and then that's really what pushed me through it and so then that music production side and then that is where I would honestly feel um, like if I could stack my value for game development I would say the production element would be the chief and then probably oops probably uh (laughs) you know, kind of writing it and, and setting the mood and tones. But anyway, so there is the, I was quit touching my mic. Sorry. There is the, <laughs> there is the, um, abbreviated history according to John. <laughs> well, you blew up all my questions. So we're done here. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah. And I'm, it's, it's nice to have access to you because, uh, like you said, you are, are a, a long practiced multi-instrumentalist with solid theory chops and a bunch of experience in stuff like recording and engineering. Yeah, the idea is that I want to try to answer questions like what's the minimum that it, like an indie developer needs to do to sort of become competent in working on their own music. And honestly, this doesn't have to be like what can they learn to score the entire thing themselves? But I, I think an, a developer who is smart in terms of music creation or recording, what have you, uh, will also work much better with a musician to get what they need. So yeah. 
And um, and I myself, I do have a musical background because I started with drums at age 10 and I studied theory for, I almost, I think it was only one year of high school. My senior year of high school, I started studying theory and learned a decent amount and I played keyboard instruments, uh, percussion in uh, concert band, wind ensemble, that kind of thing. But I, I guess a good next question is, if, if a designer or a developer wants to start down this path to start working on their own music, what kind of actual technical stuff, theory stuff, do they need to do first? How much of it do they need to know? Where do they start? So that is a very good question, and there's a lot of different angles that I want to come at that. First of all, I would analyze your project. So what kind of project you got? Is it a top-down RPG, 2D type of a thing? Is it a, uh, uh, a click style game is it uh um you know what is it what what kind of game do you got and then i would go ahead and i don't want to say plagiarize other games in that genre but borrow heavily from that why not especially if you're an indie especially if you're just starting out i mean it's fine that's what a lot of guys end up doing i think you can kind of tell so go see what that genre has already established in its score because that that's going to really help you find that right area to go from that point you know as far as like trying to think about learning any of this fresh i would feel more comfortable telling a game developer a guy that's used to coding on the computer more so to learn the production side of it Mm -hmm. so and what i mean by that is um like the 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 recording and how it how to make it sound the way you want it to sound and fitting that into music because it's very uh, formulaic and very mathematical. And as I say that, I'm realizing so is writing music. Yeah. But, and especially according to theory, excuse me, but I think the recording part of it and the mixing part of it and, and, and having your audio release ready, you know, release ready is, is going to be the part that I imagine in my head a very technical minded person is going to if not excel at, um, do fairly well. The non-musical person attempting to write some kind of music, the best advice I would say is, like I said, look at your genre of game that you're going for, grab that, and or get grab your favorite band that the music kind of moves you. Yeah. And go see if you can find any of their arrangements or their sheet music or their guitar tablature or, or some YouTube video explaining how to play it. And, and start there and see what they did with chords and how they move it all. To, to encourage you in this, in this process, it, it's all shapes. And it seems daunting at first, but you really are just moving and stacking shapes. And once you, once you get that in here, um, a whole bunch of awesome doors open up. Mm-hmm. It, that's uh, a good point. I, you say that, and what comes to my mind is when I used to help some local teams work on things like 48 hour film projects, which is funny. It's basically a game jam for movies. Uh, you've got a weekend to shoot a film and the one or two times I was on a team that worked with like a legit musical guy. He was doing just that. He was set up in somebody's basement. He had a stack of DVDs along the category that he knew he was going to be working in. And we were doing a martial arts film and he just had a bunch of, you know, he, he whipped out Hero and uh, Crouching Tiger. And he, he was listening to music. He's sitting there with a MIDI controller uh, keyboard plugged in. And he's playing something for a while. 
and he'll stop it and go, hmm, 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 and he starts going to town on some chords and and he came up with phenomenal music for that. Uh, like it was it was the standout portion of the whole project. That's so cool. And yeah, I have I have a mini controller actually sitting right here. I um, actually do too. I'm looking at one right across the room. Yeah, I got that one, that bad boy right there. I can't see who's that made by. Uh, M Audio. M Audio. I have an Alesis, which is notoriously low cost, but it's been really great. I have a Alesis Q49, which I got at Guitar Center, I recall, for about ninety bucks. It's not bad. This wasn't too much more than that. I I I've had good luck with Alesis and uh, M Audio. You know, they they got decent price points. Not bad. Yeah, because what I have found on the uh, sort of developer first side of this was I've been able to score projects by sitting there with a keyboard like that. I have some theory, but I'm not very quick with it in my brain, so I can't exactly, like, I'm going to start with an A and work down to a C and all this stuff. So I, I have to kind of, I can play stuff by ear and I can come up with things by ear, like, out of my brain. So if I if I pack away at it for a while and I've got FL Studio open or something like that, I, I can start to put things together on the piano roll and then I can sort of shape them with my mouse. Like you said, from from more technical minded person, that's I think that's a really good way to go about it. If you're if you're just working in sort of a a DAW application to sort of come up with things a little bit more mechanically. Yes, a hundred percent agree. That grid and the way it snaps to the grid, and it just really helps you see the actual building blocks of music. Um, believe it or not, programming drums by hand like that helped me immensely at like seeing. Oh wait a minute. This is this is the patterns. Like seeing the drum patterns helped so much. Yeah, um, drums in an application with a piano roll. You know, as a drummer, I still prefer that. Yeah, it it, it helps you see the patterns, like visualize the pattern, and it really helped me a bunch. Really did. Anything with a grid is awesome. I've also seen a couple of. You know, there are some pretty good web-based sequencer applications now that'll help you create like retro. Uh, you know, eight bit sounding, sixteen bit sounding songs. Honestly, they're they're pretty great. You you just sit there and and click in these. They've got dumb little silly interfaces, but if you know what they are, you just click here, click there, click there, and you just modify that until you love what you have. That's pretty cool. There guy a guy made one as a joke for heavy metal music like I play. Yeah, and it's actually. Actually, actually, pretty good. It works really well. It like just randomly generates stuff. Like you put in the time signature, and it just randomly generates riffs. And some <laughs> of them, I'm like, well, I'm stealing that. <laughs> that that's funny. Microsoft put out a project like that in I think the late '90s. It was this program that you would just set a bunch of like Visual Basic sliders and like grid controls and stuff, and hit a button. And goddamn, if it wouldn't compose pretty good music. That's so cool. And that's so cool. It's, it was funny to me because no one ever talks about it. I don't think most people even know it, it ever happened. But they had this program that would write surprisingly decent music. That's, it's, and when you know some of the features in GarageBand, I know you're a huge fan of that. Some of those features in GarageBand make it really easy. Because there's like, is, is it the strings or is it the piano or is it all of the above where it, where it plays the whole chord for you if you want it to? And you just Dude, do the one note? I'm sort of ashamed, sort of not ashamed of this. I scored... Uh, letter taps my my uh, mobile educational game entirely in GarageBand, and it was between three versions: the iOS, um, the iPhone version, the iPad version, 
and the MacBook versions all had different, like what they call smart instruments. So if you pull up these smart instruments, it looks like something like a fretboard or piano keys or something like that. And you just touch it. And if you have it set a certain way, you have the option of playing a single note, a chord, or um, if you want it to, it'll come up with real basic riffs and stuff. I didn't do any of that, but I did pull up the stuff that would let me hit a record button, touch different chords or touch different sequences. And doing that, I created at least a good starter project that I pushed and pulled in their piano roll thing and and finished the songs that way. And I've got a full SoundCloud album full of songs I wrote in GarageBand. It's awesome. I've messed around with that feature on those instruments, smart instruments. It's so cool. While you were talking, I was listening to you and trying to pull up a thing because to make you not feel very, like, you you know, the, well, I use GarageBand. There was some rapper, I couldn't find it just at a glance, but there was some rapper that was had an interview where he, he, he made his multi-million dollar hit on his phone yeah. with GarageBand. It, 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 he recorded, like, the whole thing. Right, the only thing phone. I feel bad about is it feels like cheating. Like, it's super competent, you know. Yeah, it sounds great. I love messing with it. It sounds really good, um, yeah. in my opinion. And so that well, there you go. There, that'd be an excellent solution for for you until you wanted to get this thing rolling. A thing that's coming to my mind right now, and not to switch gears too hard on you and and kind of take control over the conversation, but I I, I want to really hit on this. And without without you like knowing this kind of stuff, you I someone may not even know to ask it. So I, I want to bring it up. If you if you're listening to this and you're serious about developing games and you're ser- serious about developing your own audio, I want to tell you right here and right now: if you don't want to seem like a complete fool, invest in a set of open back studio reference headphones. These are a cheapy pair, but I still love them to death. They're Samson uh, SR 850s. They're fantastic for the price. Um, I like the open back because of the way it projects a sound um the thing is is that everybody else can hear what you're listening to <laughs> what is a <laughs> cheapy price for those 32 bucks oh really that's not bad yeah I, they're my, seriously my favorite i've used expensive headphones and these are my favorite i keep coming back to them because they're 32 bucks i just toss them on the floor when i'm done <laughs> it's like, yeah but um the reason i bring that up and i have two thousand dollar studio monitors now not everybody's gonna have that kind of stuff but those are really my ace in the hole when it comes to mixing audio but yeah. I bring that up because these headphones actually end up doing a lot of the really intense, like, dissecting type of work. The thing that I hear time and time again from indie games, time and time again from garage self-recorded bands, time and time again from, like, local commercials. And you could tell, like, the guy that opens the mail and updates the company website was also the guy that stuck the mic onto the guy's handy cam the shotgun mic and try to record audio <laughs> yeah 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 you could you know for for that for that vein there i want to save you from being embarrassed make sure your audio voices your sound effects your music all of that stuff is hitting almost all parts of the frequency spectrum that it needs to and so what i mean by that is there's areas down low under 60 hertz that you may not hear under 50 60 hertz you may not hear but if you get on the right sound system they're there Hmm. and there's stuff above 12,000 14,000 hertz that you may not hear but you can feel that stuff 
was a huge eye-opener for me. That stuff down low will ruin your audio on a on something with subs. So if you don't control that, if you don't look at that stuff, um, I have visual EQs. I have I have multiple EQs. I like to use the the really nerding out here on you. Sorry. <laughs> I like to use the one with the dials, the virtual dials. I like to use for creative, like, uh, oh, I wanted to sound fat, so I just want to turn some dials. I don't want to look at anything. Then when I need to dissect the sound, I have a very expensive graphic EQ, and then I look at the actual sound wave and see, whoa, you done effed up. Like, (laughs) this is getting crazy in the bass frequencies that you can't hear. But I also am sitting right in front of a 10-inch subwoofer. The subwoofer was freaking expensive. I don't want to tell anybody how much it costs, but that was a huge... (laughs) If you're serious about mixing audio, go buy a subwoofer now. Anyways, that really helped me with the low end. But that stuff way high up there in like that 14K to 20K range, nail that stuff. Because when people are listening on earbuds when they're in this new day and age, this was something that they didn't have to worry about when they were tracking Led Zeppelin as much because the fidelity of the playback equipment wasn't there yet. Now your phone, your earbuds... These cheap monitor, uh, studio reference headphones, uh, cheap earbuds, even the little earbuds they throw in your phone case or uh, package when you get it, those go very high. They're, uh, what am I trying to say? They have the large frequency response range that used to not be a thing 40 years ago. Yeah. And so if you don't want your audio to sound cheap, there is things that are felt on the frequency spectrum, not necessarily heard that you need to make sure there's some information in your audio files in the low or in the high. A big, long rant to tell you, watch that carefully. Get something with graphics to where you can see how that is because you might have an explosion, let's say, for a sound on your thing. And then if you're not actually looking at the way that sound wave looks, you'll be like, dude, that sounds awesome when, I, when I'm on my phone. you know. But if you put it on earbuds – or the guy's got Beats noise-canceling headphones and he's on an airplane, the next thing you know, your game sounds like to him the whole time because you're clipping in, like, bass frequencies. It's distorted. Well, if you didn't have the right listen back when you're mixing, you would have no idea. Yeah. And the same thing goes for those high frequencies. If you want to have cheap audio, if you're missing your high frequencies, man, it would just sound cheap. And, again, that stuff felt felt by your ear hairs not necessarily <laughs> heard and comprehended that's another thing too a little a little listening tip some people go well how are you hearing that frequency they, they like to say to me sometimes i'm like it's not so much you hear certain things as if you feel it mm-hmm. and so that's another thing too is, is is if you're serious about making your audio sound good and i'm a huge audiophile as you can tell i'm nerding out on this top combo <laughs> right now figure out where things are felt instead of heard and do good diligence there, and your sound will sound light years above your peers in the indie realm. So anyways, there you go. No, that, that's awesome. And I, I, I guess I would broaden that to say, in addition to picking up maybe a little bit of theory knowledge, it's probably worthwhile to go ahead and learn some of the more technical side of like frequency and sound waves and stuff like this, how this stuff actually works. And then when you're dealing with these more sort of maybe unnatural sounds that we create in these generators and sequencers and stuff, we sort of know how to control them and we understand how they're going to hit the speaker and hit the ear. And maybe we'll come out with uh, a little bit of better sounding project than what we might have. if We didn't know. Excellent. 
Excellent way, excellent way to say that. And it is, it is worth your time. Visual, I would say for the beginner, if you're serious about trying to do your own audio, don't beat yourself up for using the visual aid as a crutch. I know guys that mix almost solely off of the way something like a plug-in will look. Yeah. And they get great results. And then some guys will berate you for that. <laughs> as a beginner, it helps a lot seeing it. Um, and another thing, too, about, about having pro-sounding audio when you when you when you publish your thing make sure you get a uh, plug-in that will show you exactly what decibel this is going to be hitting speakers at the rms your rms levels because you want you want to know that you're in that right range so you're not too quiet or too loud but anyways what what other kind (laughs) of questions you got that that is helpful um and and we're sort of running low on time because we that's just how it happened today but i want to talk a little bit about specific tools that people can check out for uh, projects. And I've got several too. I want to hear the kind of stuff that you use. And I will tell you a couple of things that I use for game projects. So one thing I want to say, you did the most awesome cover of a Contra song that has ever been done. And for a couple of years now, we've been trying to pull it off here in MySpace to get the original file. And we're worried that it's lost in space. But tell me about what you use to create that. What I use to create that is I prefer to use the DAW Digital Audio Workstation is what that is, Cubase. Mm-hmm. So that's my foundation. I use, I use Cubase. Um, Pro Tools is a really extremely popular one, and I, think, I see some people using Logic. Low-cost alternative to something that's a little more similar to Cubase, like the look and the feel, is called Reaper. Okay. If you are going to use it for personal use, it's 60 dollars nice if you want a commercial license it's like 200 let me tell you this when i bought into cubase 15 years ago 15 years ago i paid 500 dollars now you have to pay a couple hundred dollars to upgrade it every so many years but that initial buy-in is steep and i think it's even steeper so to give you an idea of like how pricey that stuff can get so when i tell you you can get a you can get a personal license for 60 bucks for Reaper, and even the $200 commercial license, that's huge. If I had to do it all over again, Reaper would probably be the DAW that I would pick, Digital Audio Workstation. So anyways, I used Cubase, and then there's a plethora of drum machines. But what's super amazing nowadays is they have awesome drummers come in to studios that you can't afford, I can't afford, to go record at. Some yeah. of them are closed nowadays. And yeah. what they do is they have a guy sit down in a drum set, and he sits there and he hits all possible articulations, rim shots, the sides of drums, the cymbals, different velocities, chokes, and they put it all in a giant computer algorithm. And when you sit down at something like this, or you punch in on your piano roll like we were talking about, your drums, the different velocities on the on the program, so how hard the hit is. And so I, had, I used one at the time called Easy Drummer by Tune Tracks. Um, to do that contra mix. Now I use Superior Drummer by the same company primarily. If I'm not dealing with actual recorded drums, um, but honestly, man, it's so hard not to want to use drum machines nowadays because yeah. it's the perfect take. And was you know? this not you playing guitar on that track? Because it sounds insanely real. Oh, that's yeah, that's me. I played oh, okay. Guitar. Uh, yeah. I was like, what I played the hell? guitar and bass. Yeah. I was going to say I know about this stuff, and it sounded too good for that to be just clicked around on a piano roll. Yeah, no, that was that was me playing guitar and bass with the drums real quick, and then we'll move on from that. Um, yeah. You could you could get this, use it as a MIDI controller, just like that keyboard we showed you earlier. You can get a cheap that's like six hundred bucks new. Yeah, and then you can play that as, and it will 
write on the piano roll what you play on this so you can make your drums pretty easy. I've done that a few times. Like yeah. if there's a drum part that I just can't like figure out how to program because the pattern's weird, mm -hmm. I'll sit down on that and MIDI, MIDI it out real fast and then fine tune it in the program. But so the, so to recap, you need a DAW that's inescapable. You have to have a digital audio workstation and it's got to be Cube, or I'm sorry, the one I use is Cubase. Uh, Reaper is a fantastic option. Then you want some kind of drum machine. Tune Tracks Easy Drummer is hard to beat. It's dirt cheap for what you get and it sounds really good nowadays. Like the, the uh, Easy Drummer 2, I hate the name. Is this anything with the name Easy in it? It just sounds so cheap, but it's, it's no. not. It's really good quality. Um, Easy Drummer 2 is phenomenal if i already didn't have like six of these programs i would probably buy it and then do not if you're gonna buy this stuff do not fall into the giant trap of thinking you need programs if you pay for something like cubase especially pro tools especially when you pay this money pro tools rigs are insane by the way they're like fourteen hundred dollar twelve hundred dollar entry price or something yeah um I haven't even looked. I looked one time many a years ago and about croaked, and I've never looked at Pro Tools <laughs> again. But w these DAWs have very powerful audio tools built into them, and if you can't make a good mix with what's already in the DAW, and, and you already know it's in there, you have no business dropping hundreds of dollars on your project for audio. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't fall. I see so many guys do that. If you're if you're listening to my voice and you're going to try to go down this road, learn how to use your DAW and do not buy anything else other than maybe like Easy Drummer or Slate Drums or or something. There's there's a few alternatives for real drums if you if you want a real drum kit. Um, Cubase even has some built into them. You know, like electronic drum sounds, yeah. which are fine for a lot of projects that want you know like the the uh, hippity hop or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or the dubstep if virtual instrument traps don't fall into those use what's in your daw first learn how to use what's in your daw first because man you could sink a ton of money into it. i watch guys sink thousands of dollars into these computer programs and still can't make a good mix don't yeah. do it to yourself don't do it to yourself so i said a lot to basically say you need your daw cubase or reaper get my vote you need some kind of drum program if you want real rock sound or real or something like that. Otherwise, your doll is going to have it all. That's really it, man. And with those things, um, I have an audio interface, the physical gear side. So that's the software side, the physical gear side. I have a Focusrite um, Scarlet 2 is what I have. I couldn't remember exactly which Scarlet I have. It's the Scarlet 2. It was 130 bucks at Guitar Center. Hmm. USB. I plug guitars straight into it. Um, I have a guitar effects processor that I plug straight into it. And then um, that's, man, with a set of headphones like this, like these Samsons, I, sh I share this SR850s, some kind of guitar plug-in, virtual or processor, Focusrite uh, or M-Audio makes a great art, uh, interface. There's a bunch of good interfaces nowadays. A Line 6 makes a decent one that comes with guitar software, by the way. I used it for a decade, uh, decade. With those things, you could probably get yourself rolling with a decent setup between five thousand or five thousand, five hundred and a thousand bucks. Thousand on the on the high end of entry level. Five hundred, honestly, would get you a decent setup. And um, if you're going to do this, make money off of it. You can make money off of this. Take the time, learn how to do this. You will find somebody that will at least pay you a little bit of money to help them with the audio if you have this stuff. There's yeah. somebody out there that's just starting out like you are that may not have the stuff. 
and you might be able to make your money back on your gear or use your new money to get new gear. Yeah, and I, I talked to a couple of guys in St. Louis um, <clears throat> at one of the recent indie developer festivals who two guys, they run like an audio production company out of their house for game studios and they will write songs for people for like between 20 bucks a track and like hundreds or a thousand bucks, you know, they, all over the scale, depending on what the, uh, what the project is. They just set a certain amount of time they can spend on it, but yeah, you can make this stuff pay for itself for sure. Absolutely. I have intent to do that too. I've just been dragging my feet on it, but there's a huge market for it. Oh man, you can tell I was so excited, but, uh, but let's go on. Oh my gosh, it's almost 10. <laughs> it's, it's getting late. Yeah. I want to take a minute to throw out some of the tools that I use for this stuff. Maybe we'll categorize this as for the developer who has no specific instrument knowledge. These are ways that you can still get your job done. If you are interested in like 8-bit, 16-bit stuff, there's a good sequencer called PulseBoy at, uh, I think it's PulseBoy.com. You can pull that up, watch a very short tutorial, and come up with like pretty good retro music in a very short amount of time. I, I found this and used it and reached out to the guy who created it. And he was like, oh my God, it's so cool that you use this for stuff. I love that you're having fun with it. Please check out my Kickstarter for this game I'm developing. And that was the first Kickstarter I ever supported. And that was in like 2014 and he never made his game. So, Aww. so that, that was a bummer. But I do like Pulse Boy. That's a cool tool. On the sound effects side, there is something called BFXR, which is... One of these applications, it's a small program. You set a bunch of like sliders and uh, like value text inputs and stuff, and you hit like generate, and it will create sound effects for you that you can use. Very convenient, very cool, and it's a good example of why you have to be careful with your frequencies and make sure you know what's hitting what registers and stuff because it comes up with some weird, unnatural stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, moving up from there. With a little more musical know-how, you can do some pretty cool stuff with FL Studio. I'm an FL Studio guy. That used Fruity to, Loops. Used to be called Fruity Loops, exactly. And it had a name before that, and I have no idea what it was before that. But I don't remember that. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I'd like to know what it was called before. I'm curious, too. I used it when it was Fruity Loops. I'm, I'm yeah. fond of it. I've gotten some pretty good stuff done with Fruity Loops, and it has a lot of good drum stuff built right in. Between that piano roll and that drum system, you can do almost anything you want. And yeah, I am a supporter of the GarageBand applications because they're dirt cheap. You can get certain versions of them for free. If you're interested in making something on your phone or on your tablet, just dead simple with very good results, you can do it in GarageBand. And then uh, your... Let me ask you this. Do you use your audio interface to record these podcasts? Most of the time. Right okay. now I'm using this uh, USB wireless laptop. Oh, that's right. But when you yeah. use your fancy uh, microphone on the stick there, that plugs into the interface. Is that right? Yep. Straight cool. into the interface. Man, that that would almost be worth picking up for me. And then I could have more more options for mics. You, I would highly recommend it, man. As, as much stuff as you're starting to do with the studio and everything like that, having that little audio interface helps. There's a bunch of cool things on it. Um, there you got line levels on each one of those. Yeah. And then um, there's different listen back settings. There's a cool knob on here where I can hear. It's it's just like a volume knob. You you would love this. You would love this. But what it is is that if you turn it all the way to the – as you turn it to the left, it starts to have your playback or your input. So what that means is that me talking into this mic 
I can control how much of that I hear versus how much the computer's playing back at me by turning this knob either towards input or playback. And so you can turn oh. it in the middle and you can hear your guitar coming in and then you can also hear the rest of the mix. And then, But if I don't want to hear what I'm inputting into it, you can just turn it all the way to the playback. Or if I only want to hear what I'm inputting into it, I can turn it all the way to input. Yeah. So that I, is really I, I cool. See, that's, it's all, that feature alone makes having the audio interface sitting on your desk really cool to me. Because if I would just want to play guitar or, that, or the MIDI controller, I just turn it, you know, turn it whatever direction I need to. Or if I'm playing games and I want to hear my own voice a little bit so mm-hmm. you, don't, you, know, you know what you sound like, uh, yeah, you can put it in the middle and you hear both. Anyways, there you go. The, the other piece of gear that I have is if I were to plug in a different mic into my computer, I use my Mackie Pro FX12 board. I just plug it into my board, and I've got lots of good controls, and it plugs in through USB, and I think it gives similar results. So, But yeah, a nice desktop interface would be super nice. Oh, man, I love it to death. It's super cool. There's headphone. I got a headphone jack on the front of this thing. It's it's. It's awesome, and it has a phantom power. So, like this, oh, that mic yeah. I have is, is phantom powered. So, that's what I want. I want a good phantom powered mic. In so, that's a good point to leave off. My voice is almost completely gone. <laughs> so, I will I will hang it up there. Um, I think that we'll leave it open for people to maybe send in uh, questions about stuff like this, and I will relay them to you if we get them, and uh, we can readdress. Because yeah, I, for sure. We could fill up another show easy with this stuff, I have no doubt. Because uh, if you get me going on the fine details of the technic, technical aspect, if you guys really want some, if you do want some very pointed advice, information, at least point you to some sources on that, yeah. seriously reach out. I will gladly help you guys um, if you just hit up the, the game dev on the game dev breakdown on the proper social media sources i will try to eyeball it most likely todd will he kind of runs that front he'll let me know what's up i am dead serious i will help you out i will i will i will make a short instagram video for you to to check out if i need to talk to you or whatever it is i'm passionate about it i want people to have good sounding audio good sounding audio makes the world a better place awesome very cool. So in the meantime, if you guys uh, have not subscribed to the show yet, you can do that on iTunes, Google Play. We are everywhere on social media. We're not hard to find at all. And you can keep up with everything we do at CodeWritePlay.com. So thank you guys so much for the good feedback. Keep leaving us the nice ratings and reviews because that helps us find a wider audience. And uh, tell a friend if you got one who does this kind of stuff. We love hearing from new people and having you guys along for the ride. So thank you, John. And we will be back with more on Monday. Monday.